G'day and welcome to the next installment of the All About Occupation series brought to you by Dr. Rebecca Twinley and the University of Brighton. This episode is Dr. Danielle Castro-Dijon and Dr. Georgia Pike-Rowey putting together an amazing presentation around using or doing music together, looking at shared occupations, which is something that I can't stress enough that OTs don't look at in nearly enough detail. So strap in. Sit in, grab a snack, grab a drink, whatever you need, and enjoy this presentation. G'day, my name's Brock Cook, and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our webinar. Uh, the title of our presentation today is called Doing Music Together as a Shared Occupation, a social touristic music program as a collective occupation and a learning opportunity for occupational therapy students. We would like to thank um, Dr. Dwilly for the invitation to present in the webinar. Um, we understand this is the last uh, session for the year. So we're really, really pleased that you are deciding to join us. And yeah, what I want to tell you about music, singing, and occupational therapy. Uh, my name is Daniela Castro-Jung. I'm an occupational therapist from Chile originally. And I came to Australia via Sweden where I completed my doctoral studies. And I have been working as a lecturer in occupational therapy in the University of Canberra since 2016. And I would like to welcome um, Dr. Georgia Pike-Rowney, who is is my co-presenter today. Thank you, Daniela. Hello, everybody. And it's wonderful to be here. Uh, Even if we're still over at this side of the planet, it's lovely to be talking to other people on the other side. Uh, And I'm currently a visiting fellow at the Centre for Mental Health Research, but uh, my work has many hats. I wear a lot of hats. I also run what's called the Music Engagement Program, uh, about which you'll hear a bit more uh, as we as we go on. Uh, but I've been working in music in healthcare contexts for a very long time, uh, and uh, our collaboration has been going on for a very long time with the Occupational Therapy Unit at University of Canberra. So it's lovely to be uh, presenting that work here today. Thanks, Georgia. Uh, the next slide, please. So our presentation today. It's based on our shared publication, actually. And you can access this publication in the Journal of Occupational Science. Um, and it's co-written, as you see, by several authors, where we present our collaboration between the Music Engagement Program and the University of Canberra. And we bring the voice of ourselves as educators, but also the voice from our students and graduates. And we'll have some quotes from them by the end of the presentation today. So. We, if we triggered your interest in the topic, we really invite you to look um, for the publication in the Journal of Occupational Science, where we expand in all the topics that we will be um, discussing today in our webinar. Um, the next slide, Georgia, please. So what are we doing today? Uh, we will bring a little bit of background and context to what is music, uh, what is music in occupation and occupational therapy, and um, how do we use it uh, to teach actually occupational therapy students? Georgia will explain the music outreach principle that is at the base of the program that we use. 
Then we will talk about music outreach as a co-occupation, connecting our doing with um, occupational science. And then we will explain how do we use music outreach uh, for teaching and learning purposes in occupational therapy. How do we bring this to our students? And then what happens after, actually? And then uh, some implications for practice and some um, messages to take home from today's uh, presentation. Georgia? So the first thing that we would like uh, to ask you to think about music as an occupation in your own life. Think about uh, when you sing in the car, for example, which songs do you sing? Do you sing really quietly? Do you sing really loud? Think then um, when you go to a karaoke bar, which is your to-go song? Which song you would always sing that brings all these memories uh, and that you like to sing out loud? Then think about playing the flute, for example, when you were at school, when you were in year six or seven or eight, and you're asked to learn um, an instrument. Or even think about attending a concert from your very favorite band, that first time that you're able to see your band live. And we understand that seeing band live have become an issue during the pandemic, for example. So if that's a form of occupation that is really important for you to connect with music, it's something that has been really challenged during the pandemic because we haven't been able to see our favorite bands are performing. So when we think about music as an occupation, it's not a single thing. Um, you might be a professional singer, you might be a professional performer, you might be someone who had some training and then um, left it. Or it might be that you say, I'm not really a good singer. I'm really ashamed that people will hear me. I'm singing, so it's something that I will do, I keep really private. So it's about music making, it's about music sharing. Some people would like to write music. So when we say music as an occupation, it's not a single thing. All of us will do it in a different way. For all of us, we look differently. And we need to acknowledge that when we think about how we use occupation, in our training as occupational therapists, but also how do we use it in our practice. I don't know if my clients will share um, my musical taste, for example. So I would think that my favorite singer will create an emotion for my client and might be not the case. Um, so what we'll be doing today during the webinar is that we will be singing for you and with you as well. And that is what we do uh, in the sessions with our students and our clients as well. So we really want you to think which are the meanings and the purposes of music as an occupation in your life. As I said, some of you will have a musical background. Some of you, like me, will have none. Some of you will come from really musical families and music is the way that your family connects. Some of you will have a song that say that song means home. If you're an immigrant like myself, you will, there will be one song that takes you home in a second. Or if English is your second language or your third language, the moment I hear that song from home, takes you back. So we really want you to think about the emotions that also music will carry for you. It will be a song, it will be a singer, it will be a soundtrack, it will be that music from that movie. So music can be really active, music can be really passive, music can be uh, really emotional, music will help you to connect. So also we want to, um, for you to start exploring about that idea of music uh, in your own life. 
And from there, uh, we will be talking with you about how we could use music then as an occupation in occupational therapy to train our students and to implement it as part of our practice. So the experience that we have been sharing with Georgia over the years have taught us how to do this um, in the best possible way that we think has been uh, really rich and really rewarding for everyone who's involved uh, in the process. So um, if you want to pause the presentation for a second and really think about those songs that are part of who you are, it could be that you don't sing those songs usually, but those songs will take you home. Those songs will connect you with your childhood, with your grandma, um, with all those memories, all, all these celebrations that are important for you, for example. So really take a moment to think about the songs that make you. And if you are a performer, the songs that you learned, or, the, or how you learned to read music or to perform music and so on. So really take a moment to think about music as an occupation um, and the role that it plays uh, in your life. Um, Georgia? No, over to me. <laughs> so um, these are two examples of songs that uh, we've used a lot in the program that we're going to describe in a little more detail later, uh, which is the Music Engagement Program. And these two songs are used a lot uh, in early childhood settings that, that we work in, but they're often really great to use when you're first getting people singing again. And uh, in my experience with the Occupational Therapy Unit, many of the students feel somewhat disenfranchised about their own singing. Most of them feel like they're bad singers. And so picking some songs that are basically a form of almost folk song you Are My Sunshine is a popular song, it's an American song, but a lot of people know it in at least some vague form. So uh, it can actually be an incredibly useful song to get people singing again. Now I'm going to sing it and I'm hoping you're going to join in. Uh, Daniela will be joining in from her end, I know. Uh, and uh, just join in with me if you can, I'll just sing it. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are grey. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. It's a very simple song, and some would say quite a cheesy song, but in fact I think I've sung that probably tens of thousands of times because it's a song that is constantly asked for in care facilities, um, uh, in early childhood contexts, people really love it. Uh, the one next to it is a song called I Like the Flowers. Now, I'm only going to sing through songs once, but I do encourage you, if you'd like to sing them again, to just pause and rewind and, um, and sing them again. Uh, they're really fun. So this one, I Like the Flowers, I've used a lot uh, in contexts of for schools for children with significant uh, disabilities, and they really love it. Uh, partly because it has a lot of uh, physical actions that go along with it that I really love. Plus, there is a boom at the end, which I will demonstrate. I use this all the time in early childhood as well. It's really fun. So, again, please just join in. It's very silly. You have to do the actions as well. Go like, <laughs> so you make a flower like this, just like Daniel's showing you there. Go like this. I like the flowers. I like the daffodils. I like the mountains. I like the rolling hills. I like the fires, 
side when the lights are low. A boom diada, boom diada, boom diada, boom diada. I like the flowers. I like the daffodils. I like the mountains. I like the rolling hills. I like the fireside when the lights are low. A boom diada, boom diada, boom diada, boom diada. Boom diada, boom diada, boom diada, boom diada, boom. And you can bet the boom is most people's favourite bit. Right. So, Daniela, would you like to talk about this bit? Or would you like me to? Um, you can go, Georgia. <laughs> so, um, the the engagement that uh, my program, Music Engagement Program, have, has had with the Occupational Therapy Unit has gone on for a long time, since about 2014. And um, there's a really interesting uh, uh, shared philosophy and intent when it comes to the type of approach that the Music Engagement Program uses and the particular approach to uh, occupation but also particularly co-occupation that Daniela talks about a lot. Um, and a lot of it is about encouraging people to do, to act and to think about what is meaningful in their lives. And um, one of the difficulties with music in, in, in health contexts is that, in fact, a lot of people have had quite problematic relationships with music, particularly if they were heavily trained in school or didn't have enough opportunity to be trained uh, or if they didn't have enough opportunity to make music. Often music, particularly nowadays, has become very passive. Um, and a lot of people have had bad experiences where someone has said something about their singing or they feel that they're not allowed because they're not a professional. So there are these tensions going on in music making, particularly in, I would say, Western contexts where music has gone into the school system and become about technique and skill rather than human connection. So what we're trying to do is bring it back to that human level where it's about shared music making together and where there's an even playing field between, say, client and occupational therapist, audience and performer. It's about evening out those uh, uh, sort of separations that take place in, in a lot of music-making situations. Um, and this has been very successful. So over 300 occupational therapy students have actually come and engaged in music outreach. For example, the photograph that you can see there on your left is, in fact, that was the first outreach we took students on, I think, in about 2015, I think that one was. And um, students are there engaging with residents, getting to know them, singing songs with them, uh, getting uh, requests from residents. So it was, a, it was a really powerful thing and students seem to really enjoy it. Uh, the music outreach principle is, is the philosophy uh, upon which all of our work is based in the music engagement program. It was first uh, developed as a philosophy by Diamond, who you can see there, who's a dear gentleman who passed away earlier this year, much to my sorrow. Um, and I learnt very much a, a lot about music outreach from him and he really changed the way the arts were being used in health in the 90s and that's where Susan West came across his work. Susan West is seen there in the corner, the bottom corner, you can just see her head over our little squares I think. <laughs> uh, and Susan West is my colleague and she was my teacher as well and she used music outreach to really change the way she was using music in education in fact. Um, and showed that music outreach was very different from, say, a sing-along, which is where the power and, I suppose, the key music making is still with the performer and everybody else is singing along with that performer, as opposed to this even playing field where everyone is making music together. 
Uh, so that's the idea. And the music outreach principle presumes that creativity and empathy, this feeling of wanting to give out to others, are basic human functions because we're human. So all of us are musical. All of us want to engage with others socially. Uh, it's just that sometimes we haven't had those opportunities to be able to uh, enact that in our lives. So our aim in that program is about enhancing your ability to enhance the music making of others. So it's passing over the power and the skills to others and everyone is capable of doing that, including, for example, in that photograph, a child who is largely non-verbal, but she is still able to reach out to others in a sense through music, even if she can't actually sing. It's a whole music making um, environment, but also this social environment and everyone can, can engage in, at that level. So, and more specifically, we aim to enhance your ability to enhance others' ability to enhance the music making of others. So it's about passing on that feeling of wanting to enhance others to the students so that they can help the residents feel like they can give back to the students. So you want everyone feeling like they're helping because that's where the real benefit lies in terms of our well-being. Over to you. Thanks, Georgia. Um, and I would say that the idea of the musical with as a co-occupation was not a straight idea. It took a while for me to realize the potential that it had. Started when I moved here to Australia, someone said, um, you know that you will be teaching music to the students. And I was really scared because I said, I'm not musical at all. Um, do you want me to sing in front of the students? I was a little bit ashamed. I didn't know how it would look like. And I said, you should talk to Georgia and Susan West. Um, and I said, what it would look like. And then they talk about the idea of using old Australian songs that I wasn't familiar with. So it was this double layer of challenge for me as well. So I attended session as an observer to understand how the sessions would look like uh, and to learn the songs basically because those songs were not familiar for me. I couldn't connect emotionally with the songs because my background was in Spanish. Um, so all the songs have been really strong memories from my childhood are in Spanish actually. So learning all these Australian songs helped me to understand a little bit about the history of the country and to connect with residents, with kids and with the team actually and with the students. So by being a participant in the sessions, before even teaching our students um, on the first iteration that I was part of, uh, it came really clear to me that it was actually a co-occupation. Why a co-occupation? Because when we're singing on our own, for example, um, and I would use some example when you're driving on your own, it's one thing. And you can sing out loud as you want, and you can sing as badly as you would be in your singing. But when a car is full with your friends from um, your youth, from high school, for example, and you're singing all those old songs that you love, it's a different story, it's a different occupation. Because it changed the form, the occupational form is different. So when I'm singing with others, who might not know the songs, who might be unable to speak, who might be unlimited in their mobility, for example, because they're living with a disability, it becomes a completely different thing. It becomes a completely different occupation. So I started discussing with Georgia this notion that I was getting that the uh, musical rich sessions were actually a co-occupation, that you need two people at least connecting through a song. And the connection could come from holding hands, looking at each other, singing together, 
um, clapping. Some people even dance during the sessions, but they will decide how the engagement will look like. So keep this idea on this, um, this social engagement that is critical for the music average sessions. So music is the vehicle that we use to connect. And that one makes these sessions um, a co-occupation one. Also, we discuss the idea of collective occupations. So you will read the literature about collective and co-occupations. And there's some similarities, some, some differences that will you, if it is something that you're interested in, we really invite you to explore all further. So the co-occupations, you need at least two people to do it together, as defined by previous originally. And the shared engagement in the music art sessions occurs in a natural way and allows the creation of purpose and meaning. It's us singing together. It's us singing during my sunshine. And for that particular moment in time, for that particular session, you will be my sunshine. And the next time that I will see you, you still will be my sunshine. Or I will meet someone else that will be my sunshine for that day. So, uh, it's the co-occupation of singing, but it's the co-occupation of connecting with audience as well. So we have this double layer. It's about the songs, yes. It's about the music, yes. But it's about connecting. So it's had these multiple layers that we engage with others. Because also when we're singing, we're talking, we're connecting. As I said, connecting will come from holding hands, um, looking at each other, singing together, um, chilling out the songs that I know that you like. So they will sing it for you. It's not about the quality of the performance, as Georgia said, it's not the performer and their audience in a different uh, level. It's a co-occupation. We're singing together. I learned many of the songs from Resilience. I said, I cannot remember the lyrics the first time that I sing all the songs. The Resilience will sing um, with me, for me, teaching me. So the imbalance in the uh, engagement, in the engagement with musical occupation was shifted and were equals. And that is the beauty and that is the magic everything that happens. And I will try to capture and we have tried to explain this um, in different ways and co-occupation so far has been the best way that we have to explain this from occupational science. And we will talk um, shortly about how we use it in occupational therapy uh, education as well. Yeah. Um, so this is an example of a song that uh, is very well known in Australia in care facilities, partly because it was hugely popular through the Second World War, but it actually comes from earlier than that, uh, in the very early 30s, uh, written by a man called Jack O'Hagan. And one of the reasons that these songs are very powerful, but also why the residents of care facilities are so powerful and such an underutilised force when it comes to this kind of work, is that they still remember a time where people got together and sang. And I've just been undertaking some research at the National Library of Australia about this period, particularly in the 20s and 30s, but it continued after that, about this sense of community singing and community repertoire, where everyone knew the same kinds of songs and would sing them together. They'd gather around the piano. And I know this certainly happened in many other countries and it's still happening in many other countries. So we're not suggesting this idea is new or that it's somehow unique to Australia, it's just for trying to remember what it feels like and bring those feelings back 
And that's why it's so wonderful, particularly in care facilities, because those residents are so wonderful at supporting all of us to remember how this is meant to feel. This particular song is really great. We are, I, I do a lot of work in um, care facilities, in uh, units specifically for people with advanced dementia. And in those situations, there's often what I think of as a key song that will unlock that person. And there was a particular lady involved uh, who could be in the most foul mood, be throwing things, swearing a lot at me or others, until you started singing the song. And it meant a lot to her because she was born very close to this town called Gundagai. Gundagai is a little town in Victoria in the southern part of Australia. And there was a huge uh, number of songs written about tiny towns in Australia during the 20s and 30s. It was a really popular thing. And uh, this song was very famous. And I'll sing it for you. And you can see, I think, why it was so well known during the wars because it was very much, during Second World War, because it was very much about thinking about home. And comfort and home is often a theme that comes up in these songs a lot. So I'll sing it for you. It's a really beautiful song. I'll sing you the verse, which isn't particularly well known. There's a scene that lingers in my memory Of an old bush home and pals I long to see That's why I am yearning Just to be returning Along the road to Gundagai There's a track winding back to an old-fashioned track along the road to Gundagai Where the blue gums are growing, the marambidgee's flowing beneath a sunny sky Where my mother and father are waiting for me And the pals of my childhood once more I will see Oh, no more will I roam when I'm heading straight for home along the road to I will say for a lot of people, um, particularly, for example, in the care facilities, there'll often be particular songs that actually are a little bit nationalistic, particularly if they've come from a different, a different country to Australia, and that's the case with most Australians. We've come from somewhere else except for the Aboriginal population. We're all visitors. Um, and uh, Scottish songs, Irish songs, Italian songs, particularly in the care facilities with those older generations of, of waves of migration that have come to Australia. So I've had to learn the kinds of songs that would be most um, appropriate for those, for those groups. So um, this is the other major issue, which I've touched on earlier, so I'll go through this quickly, but there is a big problem uh, in music in health context because of this split between the idea that music must be good for well-being because creativity is good for well-being. Yet a lot of people who have suffered quite mightily from stage fright, from all sorts of um, uh, anxieties and difficulties when it comes to exposing themselves creatively. So we need to somehow look at that and overcome those issues in order to then make use of it more in our daily lives. And one of the best ways to do that is to actually engage in outreach because it becomes not about your own music making of that, but about others. Now, the photograph there is of a program we ran at a local high school where uh, in Australia there's a big problem with males continuing to sing. That tends to stop. They tend to stop singing quite early, usually in the primary school years. And these high school students really wanted to sing again, so they decided to get together a group and get singing. 
And I would bring in groups of adults who had disabilities who'd done a lot of outreach work. And those adults would actually lead the teenage students in singing. Uh, and also the teenage students would feel that they were supporting these adults in more social engagement. Um, and in fact, a lot of them had never had an experience where they were engaging socially with someone of difference. So it was very powerful in that way. But the singing was used as a connecting point and as a bridge. So um, this is one of the things we're trying to do is really, including the way the room works, we're breaking down that performer audience uh, kind of dichotomy. So everyone's spread out and engaging very much on a one-on-one -on -one or small group basis around the room. Uh, so that's, that's really how we're, how we're trying to change that way of thinking. Doesn't mean that performance isn't good. That's completely fine, but it's just different. And in, and in healthcare and wellbeing context, we found that this can be particularly powerful. So, Daniela. Thanks, Georgia. Um, so, we have been telling you about music, about your favorite music, about purpose, about meaning, about all Australian songs, about connection, about um, shifting the power in relationships when we meet our clients. Um, so, how do we do this? Uh, to teach professional therapy students. So we will share with you what we do, uh, how do we use this to teach our students, but also how we are looking at this um, further in practice, but also in, in research. So from here is all the principles from Dr. Diamond, uh, all the work from Susan West, the work that Georgia has been doing in connection to um, the way that we teach our students at the University of Canberra. So what do we do? Students in the first year um, everyone is invited to join, actually. Um, Georgia will come to the classroom and teach a session very similar to this one. In more detail, of course, but very similar to what you're learning today about the principle, about being a stage fight. We will reflect further on the idea of uh, music as an occupation for everyone. And we will um, have a session in the classroom and we will have some rehearsals, we will sing. <clears throat> we will go through um, these old songs, the new songs, songs that were with kids, songs that were with older people, and so on. And this happened in the classroom, and everyone said, what a beautiful session. But then, um, over two weeks, we will go and sing with residents at HK facilities, or with kids um, at schools. And then the story changes because you're not that confident anymore. Some students will say, I'm really afraid um, that people wouldn't understand my singing, and my voice is not really beautiful, so I would just say in the corner, so no one will see me. I would say, understand music as the occupation. Understand music as the vehicle to connect with clients. Um, they don't need to come with an intervention plan, an assessment. I'm not assessing the patients. They're not assessing, they're just connecting. And then they will write a piece and reflect on the experience and the occupation of thinking with others and using music as a way to connect with others. And many students will say over the years, the songs, these songs, I know them because my grandma used to sing it to me, for example. I used to sing it to my kids. So even the students will also start connecting and saying um, that they didn't expect that they would continue to sing. Also, sometimes we will ask the students to lead the sessions and to come with the songs and prepare and sing um, with the patients or with kids at schools. 
and becomes a really powerful, as you can imagine, learning opportunity. It's really simple. You don't need any equipment. You can do it at any time. You just need people who want to sing together. And also, something that we have learned over the years, that we will uh, be talking about in a second, is singing looks different for everyone. You will, sing that, you will think that singing is the same for everyone, but actually, we have learned that it's not. And that is a beautiful learning that we want our students to take home with them after participating in these uh, three sessions. So what have we learned as educators here? Uh, this is the conversation that we have been running with Susan, um, George and myself over the years, as well as the tutors that we have in the unit. That is spider, that is, uh, this is the voluntary engagement. There will be songs that you don't want to sing, and everyone wants to sing uh, because they want to. Students are in a learning opportunity, but we will not force, if you don't want to sing a song, we will not go and force the students to join. We really want this to be a voluntary engagement because we want to be a rich opportunity to connect with others. The second thing is um, the one-on-one -on -one engagement with the community in group settings enhances the experiences for the students. Some students will see many uh, participants, many older people in the residence during the sessions, or they will stay with one resident during the whole session, and that's absolutely fine. What we want again is that students can realize and can see the potential of using music as a way to connect and understand the potential that this occupation the third one is the importance of uh, the mental break and having a fun time interacting with clients. So it's coming out of uni, it's coming out of classroom, um, come prepare with your songs and be ready to have a good time. And it feels really different. It's, um, and we, it's learning by doing, and we would say here is learning by singing. And sometimes singing is about me being quiet. In my personal experience, when the residents were teaching me the songs, I remained quiet because I wanted to learn the songs from them and I wanted to hear the stories that the songs were bringing for them. So it's really, um, as I said, singing is not always about uh, being loud or getting my voice heard. Sometimes singing is about being quiet. The engagement is diverse. As I said before, some residents were like to sing Others will like to dance, others like one song, and it's the one song that they will sing. Others will clap, others will look at the yard. And sometimes we have residents, even students, getting a little bit uh, during the sessions, and that's absolutely fun as well. Some people will sing really quiet, some people will sing really loud. So engagement, even if it's the same session, and we're together, and we're connecting, your engagement and my engagement might be different. And we're connecting and we're respecting um, the difference and the diversity. And that's really, really important in the frame of um, sessions. There are no predetermined outcomes. So there are foreseen outcomes as well. Um, it could be that you realize that the, this person that you're talking to are from the same region or the same town that you are. So people could connect in ways that we don't expect or we don't anticipate. Or it could be the family members are around visiting and they decide to join the session as well. And everyone is welcome. Staff is welcome, students, residents, 
if a resident want to come uh, for three songs and live, that's absolutely fine. We're there to sing, we're there to connect, and we're there to look after each other. For 30 minutes, 40 minutes, or an hour, that's what we're there for. Also, um, it's the importance of remaining responsible needs and interests of the group in an outreach session. We don't have a list of songs. This is not a concert. This is not a playlist. So song number one is Pure Sunshine and song number two uh, is The Road to Candlelight. It could be uh, that the group wants to sing different songs. That is Christmas and they want to bring old carols, for example. And that's absolutely fine. It could be that one person wants to teach a song. So it could be um, there's not a given list that we need to follow. And if someone wants to sing the same song three times, we will sing the song three times. And we will sing it louder. And we will dance a little bit. We will do different things to make sure that we're responding and connecting with the needs of the participants, of everyone who's engaged in the moment. And kind of say, oh, next time we will do this. So I'm saying, we want to sing the same song again today. Now we will do it. And the section therefore is really flexible and adaptable to the needs of those who are engaged in. And also there has been some discussion when we're singing with people who have been described as non-verbal. Everyone can sing, we can promise you that everyone can sing, everyone can connect. Everyone, they will look in your eyes, they will hold your hand, they will tap, they will give you an indication the song is there with them, but they're connecting. So as I said, singing is not about getting my voice out. It's actually being with you in the moment through a song. So all these learnings and they are with us. And the best way to help the students to learn this is through engaging in the sessions, actually. And that's why Georgia will come uh, to the classroom first to introduce uh, the theory behind. But the only way that you will really understand this is in, if you're engaging in a session with residents, with kids, uh, anyone actually. You will do it in your village, you will do it in your town, you will do it with a group of moms, you can do it with people. What we need here is people and a few songs, basically. Um, Georgia? So over the years we have been asking the students, what do you learn, what do you think, why are you taken away from the sessions? So here are a few quotes that I, of course, did identify from our students over the years. This student uh, says, um, we as occupational therapists need to um, claim our roots and celebrate our beginnings with the arts and arts movement. So by losing, the student is calling, saying, it seems that we have lost the connection of arts and crafts as a powerful tool in our profession. And this student was really compelled by what the music engagement program was bringing back um, to the profession. So just for you to think, um, for us it's music, it could be cooking, people would say. Think about other ways of people who have to connect. The beauty of music, we think that is um, universal and is no cost at all for those involved. The next one, where's the student works the best? What are you taking out these um, sessions? Um, as I said, it really helped me to communicate and build rapport with elderly people. It does build confidence and it makes you feel good to bring such joy to people by doing something so simple. 
and to see how much the residents enjoyed it and to see um, less confident students growing more confident. So you said that the benefits are not only for the students and not only for the residents, everyone. Um, it's getting something a little bit. And this is from, from the students. And also we said to the students, what we will do differently? How the city will be even more powerful? And, um, and this is to identify that some residents who didn't have uh, dementia at the time indicated that they can't sing because they don't know the words, they don't know the lyrics. And it might be nice to give people an option to have it so they can engage with us more. Some people really like to rely on lyrics because they want to follow the actual um, song if they don't know them by heart. And also, um, other students say perhaps not wearing the uniforms or only wearing the name badge will make the things uh, more personal. Some students felt that wearing the uniform of being a student would create some barriers because it was not a therapeutic intervention. They were not implementing treatments. It's about connecting as humans. So we have been uh, asking the students this over the years and we'll see some trends, but every year something new will come and we keep learning. This is a really flexible learning opportunity. Um, Georgia will share with you some of the projects that students have developed over the years from what they learned um, in the program, but also in their placements. Yes, so some uh, of the occupational therapy students came and did their, their long placements with the music engagement program, uh, which has been really fantastic, particularly in situations where a student arrives thinking, what on earth am I doing? in a music program, this has nothing to do with occupational therapy, only to be completely converted by coming and seeing a situation, for example, in a dementia facility where a resident's been crying for three days and thinking, oh, my sunshine somewhere, they're fine, and thinking this is the best thing ever. So um, it's been really great to have the students come because we also gain a lot as a program, having their input and their different perspective. So uh, some of the projects they've developed have been really wonderful. One of them that was my favourite was the first one there, a multilingual songbook project. This is because, and I'm sure it's the case in many of your countries as well, that residents in nursing homes come from all sorts of different places. Now, in Australia, you might have certain nationalities that dominate, but in one particular facility these students went to, I think there were about seven different nationalities, and it was a dementia ward. So a lot of the people who may have been able to speak English at one point uh, have gone back to their mother tongue. So uh, there was a lady from Finland. There was an individual who came from Brazil. There was another one from uh, uh, Africa. So what they did is try and find out what the You Are My Sunshine equivalent might be for those different language groups. And they went in and sang them with the residents to see if they worked. If they didn't, they went and tried to find something else because you couldn't necessarily ask the residents. But that was a really great project and they came up with a beautiful songbook as a result, uh, which we've used since. Um, uh, another great project was uh, music for school-aged parents. So these are young parents who are still in high school who have children. And this great program, it's a wonderful program that runs at a local college, um, and uh, it was about getting the young parents singing with their, with their children, with their babies and toddlers, and getting them using music as part of their parenting routine. Uh, another, another project, a literature review on music and dementia care, came from this individual I mentioned who first arrived thinking, what on earth am I doing here, and ended up particularly interested in the impact it would have 
in that space and that led to um, uh, a current project that was just published earlier this year evaluating our program with people uh, with advanced dementia in care. And finally, a really wonderful project with the Royal Society for the Blind, which unfortunately uh, was defunded, um, but uh, that the society was defunded. But for a while there, um, a student on placement with the Royal Society and a student on placement with us got together and ran their own group, uh, singing with, with members of that society, which was really fabulous fun. Um, and that continued for, in fact, a couple of years. Uh, until until the society was defunded. Uh, there's some current um, collaborations going on, uh, including looking at music and mental health with at-risk teenagers, which is a collaboration with um, a medical school student uh, and a police community youth club, uh, which was a, had some really interesting results. And as I said, the evaluation of outreach for people with Alzheimer's disease, so that's actually been published now. Uh, so you can just look up the music engagement program and we'll pop up. Um, and I think Daniela probably put the, the reference in the, in the uh, references, or if we didn't, you can just contact us and we can send it to you. Uh, and a PhD student of mine is looking at this idea of optimal arousal and music performance anxiety. So this is really questioning this idea that all of us have to be anxious if we want to sing or make music. Uh, we don't subscribe to that particular belief. I don't believe that fear and anxiety has to be part of music engagement or music performance indeed. Uh, I'm a music performer as well as someone who does outreach, and I think that the outreach has hugely influenced how I perform and changed my view around that. Uh, and with the University of Canberra, of course, the application to occupational therapy that we're discussing here, and also um, the nursing units in uh, in uh, New Zealand, in the Southern Institute of Technology, right at the bottom of New Zealand, at the bottom of the world, um, are using music to train nurses uh, to do this kind of outreach work as well, which is really exciting. So, Daniela. So, we're approaching the end of the presentation, actually. And as you might notice, we could talk about this and we could think about this um, many, many hours with Georgia. But we really wanted to summarize what we have been talking about today with you in a few different messages. The first one is um, the music outreach sessions, the music engagement program is good for the community. Singing with others, not for others. I'm singing with you. I'm not on the stage singing for you. I'm not showing you how well I know this song. And you might forget the verses and everyone have a laugh. And you just keep singing. So it could be with mothers, kids with disabilities, older people, students. It's good for everyone. We just take a moment to sing the songs that are important for us. And we're more than certain that the repertoire that we use, usually use, will keep changing because our populations are getting older. But also in Australia, because we have many residents coming from overseas. So we are aware that the songs will keep evolving and keep changing, and someone will bring a new song that we're not aware of, and that will be beautiful as well. The second one is for our students, um, and the musical sessions as a uh, new occupation. If you are a university student, sing when your lecturer said to you, Next week, you will be singing in public and you will, join, you will be enjoying it. Many of our students usually look at me and say, what? And they really enjoy it. You see the next session, how different they are, how different everyone is. When you relax and you decide to enjoy the session. 
And now you understand that your voice is just part of the collective. That the powerful, the most powerful voice in the room is actually the collective voice. And it sounds beautiful, I can promise you that. Um, for occupational therapists, there are therapeutic implications, of course, of the music travel sessions. Um, you could use music as part of your regular um, activities, actually, the regular things that you do as a therapist. We know therapists that they sing um, when they're training, for example, someone. And said it will be okay, will you be relaxed with singing a few songs while we're doing this, while we're training a new occupation, for example, when you're training someone on to navigate house, it could be a way to relax and to engage uh, with your clients. And for occupational scientists, music as a co-occupation is a tremendous understanding. I actually created opportunity for us and Georgia um, to keep reflecting on why the music coverage sessions are so powerful to be part of the occupational therapy program. So you can look at this uh, from many, many perspectives. Uh, and we really want you to start thinking, which songs would I be singing if I was writing this uh, in my school, in my classmates at the university, um, in my teaching um, team, for example, if I'm a lecturer, or with my clients in the community. So really start thinking what you would be doing um, if this was um, joining the sessions. Um, Georgia? I might also add, Daniela, that uh, one of the really important messages that I would want to give to everybody listening to this is the idea that you don't have to make music making a formal affair. It doesn't have to be just in a music session. In fact, it's much better if you just happen to be singing a song as you walk down the hallway with someone, um, as as you're, you know, I mean, we've talked to, in fact, there's been papers about how you could sing while bathing somebody. It, it can be embedded in everyday life because that's how music used to be. It's just because of the advent of recorded music, music has become more and more passive. So we want to bring back the active. This is a very difficult thing to do in COVID. And I will admit that it's one of the hardest things for me, and I'm sure for all of you, that the idea that somehow something that I think is so valuable has become something that's dangerous. The idea that singing with one of my dear residents that I've known for so many years could harm them by giving them COVID is a horrible thought. However, we've continued to do a lot of work online where we could, not so much with the care facilities, but with a lot of other communities, and that's been very successful. And it has had to turn into a bit more of a sing-along situation, but it still reminds people of those feelings that we had when we could get together and sing. Uh, and certainly a lot of the, the staff members at places where we've sung a lot have taken it upon themselves to encourage the residents to sing for themselves. And that's really powerful because they can sing for each other and with each other. So uh, it can continue in different ways. And We've seen lovely examples of that during COVID of people continuing on making music, even though it's been so difficult. So, um, some goodbye songs. Goodbye songs are very important. <laughs> uh, partly because it's a nice way to wrap up if we are doing a, a big session of singing. Um, but also there's a couple of um, goodbye songs that are very powerful for people and can be very emotive. Um, the one on the right, Por Atharao, Now is the Hour, or it sometimes used to be called the Maori Farewell, is hugely popular in the Second World War. And again, I often come back to wartime songs because they do stick in people's minds in a different way. 
And I think, again, I suppose like we have gone through COVID, the things that helped you get through that traumatic experience are the things that really stick with you. Uh, and this song, Now is the Hour, Guadalajara, Guadalajara is, is the same song uh, in Maori language, um, was actually popular the world over, which is why I chose this one. Uh, it was actually to a Swiss tune, but a Maori lyricist wrote the lyrics uh, and it's and it's very, very popular. So I'm going to sing it for you first in English, now is the hour, and then I'll sing it in the Māori for you because it's a beautiful language. And I had to learn these when I went and did outreach down in New Zealand. So I'm very grateful to my colleagues there to teach, for teaching it. So. Now is the hour when we must say goodbye. Soon you'll be sailing far across the sea while you're away oh please remember me when you return you'll find me waiting here and then in the Maori oh Uh, so we can sing that one in Australia too. Uh, and then in Australia, we also tend to finish nearly every single outreach <laughs> with Wish Me Luck As You Wave Me Goodbye, which I'm hoping that the Brits have, uh, do know. Uh, Gracie Field sang it very famously. Uh, and we love this one because it's terribly jolly. Um, so we like to sing this one at the end to, to give everyone a lift before we finish. Uh, so I will sing it for you. Wish Me Luck. As you wave me goodbye, Jurio, here I go on my way. Wish me luck as you wave me goodbye. Not a tear, not a dear, make it gay. Give me a smile I can keep all the while in my heart while I'm away. Till we meet once again, you and I. Wish me luck. As you wave me goodbye. You have to do a big finish like that and go do the high note. That's part of the fun, isn't it, Daniela? <laughs> so you can see um, all the media references and resources that we use to prepare our uh, presentation and that we base our work in. Because uh, it's beautiful, it's really human, it's arts, and it's social science, and it's knowledge. So we're really interested in keep developing our knowledge and keep researching why does it work? When and how does it work? Why is it so powerful that we connect with humans and that's good for our health and our well-being? So we're looking at all the projects to keep exploring um, the use of music um, in occupational therapy, in occupational science, and um, the work with people with disabilities, with residents, and so on. 
So keep an eye because we will keep doing research on this uh, field. Next one, uh, here are our contact details. Um, if you want to know more about the program, if you want to sing, um, Georgia's more experience um, singing overseas in New Zealand, as she mentioned, and um, in Scotland, for example. So if you want to know more about the program, about how we teach and coach our therapy students and so on, uh, contact us and we will be more than happy to share our experiences uh, over the years. Thank you very much for um, watching our webinar and we're really hopeful that it was inspiring and informative. Um, Georgia? Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Daniela. Thanks, everyone. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.